Listener Production. Shares, Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday Mailbag Edition. I am Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page, Esquire, as I like to call him, from Strawman. Not even from Strawman. He founded the business. He runs the business. He cooks, cleans, and washes the bottles. He is, of course, Andrew Page from Strawman.com. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I love the build-up you give me. How's that for feel, a wind-up intro? It makes me feel very special. Uh, you know, mate, you're not- an entrepreneur <laughs> extraordinaire. You have built a multi-billion dollar business from nothing. It is it, 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 the least I can do. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I have to. It's in the contract. But the least I can do is actually say nice things about you. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'll take it. Take take the victories where you can, right? Mate, you've got it right. If you fool some of the people, some of the time you're ahead. Um, I uh, mate, lovely to talk to you as as always for Sunday morning. I'm gonna I'm gonna invert the entire idea of this podcast because you and I were chatting between podcast recordings, and you said to me that the degree to which you own your own home changes how comfortable you are in life. I think I'm, I don't think I'm uh, speaking out of school by sharing that, that sentiment. No. I have a difficult question for you because we talked a lot, about, well, a little bit actually, at the end of Friday's podcast about the realities of home ownership and affordability and interest rates and rental and that kind of stuff. And I am on record as saying up until, I haven't just haven't seen the numbers last 18 months, I have no idea how they've changed, but probably not for the better. Up until then, affordability measured as the proportion of your income that went towards repaying a house was not much changed over 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Had bumped up and around the place man, where prices were. I assume it you know, goes up after uh, the 21% increase in house prices and then down and then back up again with interest rates. So it's, it's kind of bounced around. But you know, over, over an extended period of time, the... The, the line isn't much different. I, and I stick to that as a, as a measure of affordability, as an average measure of affordability, when you consider household incomes and repayments, right? You can afford to repay based on diverting a certain proportion of your income to repayments. That's the, that's the relationship in my mind that matters. Now, I know you don't necessarily agree 100% with that, but I am gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna disagree with myself um, in one important way. One of the things I've said often I don't know how many times on the podcast, but often in different places, is what matters um, is not averages, but distributions. Yes. There is, a, there is a spread of, you can have quartiles, which is one quarter of the population of each thing. You can have deciles, you have quintiles, you can have percentiles, which are literally one to one hundredth of, a, of, the, of the population. And if you were to draw a line and talk about how affordable housing is for each of the people on that list the hundred the hundredth percentile the one percent literally the one percent and the bottom one percent everyone in between it's a very very different story and my problem isn't so much i'm going to assume you agree with that i'm going to assume that's taken as read yep because my issue is actually about the realities of trying to own a home because household income is the combination of how many people are working in your house added together divided by the house you buy or the repayments you're paying and I think that has dramatically lengthened, extended, stretched the distribution. Because if you have one person working in your home, the average household income is implies two people, 1.8 people or whatever working, you're already miles behind the eight ball. And there's every combination then from one low paid income to then one modest income to then two low paid incomes. And we, as we go up, we go to two modest incomes and then eventually the upper end, we end up with two very high incomes. And so whatever combination permutation of those, the average is still the average and, and the affordability is still the affordability. 
But it does strike me, and again, I'm going to assume you, you think I'm right about this, because my real question is, what the hell do you do given the reality of two-income households to have stretched... Let's put aside housing policy entirely, right? Just for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. My, my question I haven't yet come to an answer on, because it's only really been a play on my mind this week, is what do you do simply when, if you're a single person, by, by just because, not again, hmm. government policy aside, there are just two incomes in most households these days. So mm. the, the, the demographics alone have made your life obscenely more difficult because you're competing against people with two incomes. Just assume no, assume no tax difference, assume no policy difference, assume nothing else other than you're a single person trying to buy a home or you're two lower income people trying to buy a home. Because of the addition of that second income, and because of the reality that that second income adds meaningfully, depending on whether they're low, middle, or high second incomes, to a, to a household income, I don't know what structurally you do to fix the problem for a single income household. Again, let's assume you try to make every policy change in the world in terms of taxes and whatever, whatevers. How, how, do, you, how do you unscramble <laughs> the egg of giving a single income person access to home ownership? Oh gosh, you're coming coming uh, out of the gates with the with the big questions. Well, here. I just I just, I, I don't I haven't been you know I'm I've got opinions on everything you know that, and I've got reasonably well formed opinions on most things. This one is one I'm just meaningfully stumped on. Like I can, you might say, well, you should only let people qualify for loans based on one income. So, well, whose income do you use? And do you say it's the blokes, or the women's, or the highest, or the lowest, or some sort of average? Or I mean, you can apply you can apply a whole lot of arbitrary regulation on top of that try and you know put a limit but then what do you do if someone's buying for cash you know if, if i own my own home outright i sell it and buy another home do, do you say well you can't buy that home because you if you if you had to borrow you don't have one income and then you have this and then i, I actually i genuinely made a, i should have been really really super dictatorial i can't unscramble this one i really can't find the solution I, and i wonder i worry structurally that that perpetually puts singles lower income couples because of the, that, the, the stretched distribution there, yeah. puts them meaningfully outside the access to the housing market. Yeah. I mean, I guess a single person doesn't need a four-bedroom home, you know. If you don't, you're not partnered up with, you know, a bunch of little runs running around, then it's True. easier to, you know. Um, but it's, I, I, it's, it's a tough one, mate. I, I don't – I honestly don't know. I mean, I've, I've commented before, the irony of ironies is, is that – Dad always says that when – he and mum got a home loan. Mum wasn't even looked at. I mean, you're not a factor. Totally. Yeah, exactly. You're just going to get pregnant. Even if you are working. Yeah, that's right, right. Exactly. You know, like the bank would laugh Mate, at you. Teachers had no. to leave the workforce. You weren't allowed to be a teacher if you're married or over 26 or something and you're female. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's laughable now, right? And so we had this real underparticipation. We had basically half of our population, all the talent and skills and you know, everything just right, comple- exactly. completely wasted. And it's not about <laughs> yeah. money and economics. Yeah. I mean, most um, generally people find value in their work. You know, there's something intrinsic to it in terms of purpose and agency and all of these really valuable, important things. And I'm the biggest supporter of all to say that it's great that, that there is more female participation. Yeah, you know? yeah probably should pay them the same <laughs> maybe maybe that'd be a good move you know Rad- for the rad- same radical amount of, but maybe maybe might you know? just be justified i think i'm not going sure. out on a limb here but i, I think <laughs> i think that's probably a, do, a do good the same work maybe get paid the same amount that's probably a good start <laughs> but here's the irony and i know i've mentioned it on a previous <laughs> pod but but mm-hmm. it's 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 not it's not a choice anymore 
You know, yeah. if if I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the stereotypical gender roles here, just just because it's, it's it's easier and it just it's more generally true. But you know the 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 mum that wants to go mm. into the workforce was just such a great option to have. It's yeah. not an option anymore. Correct. It's not an option. If you're a young couple, you can't. He's like, oh, I'm going to stay home and look after this. Well, you want to hope the other person's paid really well because you're up <laughs> against everyone else who's mm-hmm. done. So it's, 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 and now we're both chained to it. And now we have, that's why childcare has been such a, a big phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there, it, it, it's sort of, it's, it's I don't know what, I don't know what my point is. It's just, it's just kind of, it's unfortunate that we've taken something that was a great inequality and that we <laughs> felt as though, and we, and I do stand by this, but I get myself into hot water. I absolutely think no, that, yeah, no, that, no, 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 you know, really clear. Absolutely. that that should, that should be absolutely the option. But I, I would, I reckon most people listening to this, uh, who are in a couple relationship, mm. they'd be going, well, it's not a choice. I don't, right. There's, I, I know that, um, uh, I would have been pretty happy as a stay-at-home dad, honestly. Mm-hmm. I would, would, which, but wasn't wasn't an option. Yeah. It just yeah. wasn't an option because yeah. there, there are bills to pay. So that's that's the great tragedy in in, in all of this. And this so, is yeah. what I find really disappointing too: is mm-hmm. that so much of our economic energy and effort is just is 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 put into this thing that yeah. has zero productive use. We, 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 we allowed, allowed, sounds like we're being generous. We made sure women could have equal access or equal issues, not completely equal, as you say, to the workforce. And then literally almost overnight, we capitalized on the house price and made it, it went from, it went from you have the freedom to choose to you have an obligation because that's the cost of housing. Got no choice. Yeah. And again, the the other thing, and again, I, I want to say back to my original question, it wasn't the government or policy or anybody else. This was the workings of the market because what happened Mm. was, you had your income, I had my income. Then your wife started working, and so you could bid a little bit more than I could for the house. A lot and more so than if you I wanted, could. Right? So if I want to compete with that, then my wife has to start working. And so she, when she starts working, then someone else's wife has, And again, they, they should be allowed to, right? But mm. you know, if, if we weren't mad, like humans are mad, right? If we weren't mad, we would have said, hey, cool, let's both work part-time, and the house will be the same price, and we'll all be sweet. And we'd all be working 20-hour weeks, literally. Mm. Like adding a second income to a household, I was like, oh, thank God. We can all work less, spend more time with the family, have a better work-life balance. That'd be really, really cool. And we went, oh no, actually, you know what we should do? We'll take all of my income and now all of your income and we'll all pay more for exactly the same house. That's a yeah. really, really smart thing to do. Yeah, we're dead I mean, slaves. Can you imagine? We're dead right? slaves. I mean, we always were, but we, we literally, and again, this is, not, this is not policy. This is not, you know, policies suck and we should fix them, right? This is not policy. This was just the interaction of a very slow-moving auction market. Where mm-hmm. I could bid a bit more, so you could bid a bit more, so I could bid a bit more, so you could bid a bit more. That's how, and, and we, we've, and that's on one hand, perfectly appropriate as a market mechanism. On the other hand, we're just all freaking nuts because that's literally what we did. We said, I'm going to take all of this second income, which by definition, at the point it arrived in the household, after tax is 100% disposable because it wasn't being used for anything else at all until it arrived. Right now, so we bought a second car and then a color TV and then we a bigger house and an extension and a renovation and a boat and whatever else people did. I don't have a boat for the record. Whatever whatever else people did. And we literally capitalized that that wonderful, wonderful, completely unencumbered disposable income. And we turned it into a house price. Yeah. It's just mad. It's absolutely yeah. mad. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, can I sign up to your newsletter? I'm I'm on board, man. It's <laughs> But yep. I don't know how the, the thing is. I, what what I don't know how to fix that. That's the, my back to my original question is. Some people are screaming at the radio. Oh, the radio. How am I going? The podcast machine now saying, <laughs> "Well, that, what do you what do you want to fix? It's a free market. People chose. It's what they chose. It's perfectly fine." 
I just think, you know, we talked on Friday about markets distorting things. I think, you know, to speak of externalities, leisure time. They, I, don't know what, I don't know what a good externality is called, right? When you make those trade-offs of standard of living type things. It's not an externality because it's not external, but it's, there's something about the non, non-dollar denominated. You know, we chose to, instead of having twice as much leisure time or working half as much at income, so we push prices of things up. And yes, we could afford a holiday overseas as well. It wasn't just on housing, but, you know, those things changed the way we lived and our standards of living. And that's, again, in and of itself, not terrible. I just don't know how to. I don't know how to. Yeah. I, I, make, I make a value judgment, right? So free marketeers, free marketeers will say the market side, the market's always right. What are you complaining about? I will simply say I don't think any sort of rational, normal, sensible, and I say rational, not economically rational, but rational, rational, normal group of people would have got together and said, you know what, we all should do. We should all do this thing, which gives us more money, but we shouldn't actually have a meaningfully increased standard of living. In fact, we should lock in the requirement for both people to work 50 hours a week so we can pay for the same square meterage and number of rooms that we had before this whole thing started. It, it, it just makes no sense to me. It's, it's the money <laughs> is, the, is, is the short answer <sighs> to, to all of that. It, it really is. I mean, pro- property uh, is, is really a... A wealth creation vehicle. It's yeah. just been so divorced from its underlying economic utility yeah. that yeah, it's it's, it's just it's been financialized. It, it's the money is is is, is my yeah. my view on it. So I mean, you know, yeah, <laughs> we say it's been financialized though. Like that that implies to some degree that's investors doing it. It, it literally wasn't. Sands, we could take every investor out tomorrow, and house prices would still end up being a, a slow moving auction based on how badly you want it, how badly I wanted it. How much yeah. of income we're prepared to put towards it? Like I, that, that's what worries me. I would change negative gearing tomorrow. Don't get me wrong. And again, I'm saying I'm not, I'm not excusing any policy changes, but the simple reality is I don't think, like we talk about first home owners grants on, on, on Friday, right? What happened? Got capitalized on the price. It's just what mm. we do. I, I don't, yeah. I, I, just, made, not, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have a good definition of wealth. And I think yeah. when, when it comes to wealth, we look at our asset values, our incomes, and it is very mm-hmm. poor. I say this with a dead straight face, a very poor measure of wealth. Yeah. I mean, who's wealthier? The investment banker on half a million dollars a year with three different investment properties <laughs> yeah. who has no choice but to work, you know, 60 yeah. hours a week, yeah. six days, you know, age 10 yeah. years faster than everyone else. Or someone mm-hmm. who's living a very chill lifestyle, regional New South Wales, maybe on 50 grand a year, yeah, right. but owns their property hour. Wealth, <laughs> my best definition uh-huh. of wealth is having, is having agency over your time. That mm-hmm. when, you, when you can wake up each and every day and do whatever you want in terms of how you, I mean, I want to say every one, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, bungee jump out of a 747 and, you know, <laughs> there, there's certain, but, but when you've got, when right, you've legit, got the, yeah, the yeah. choice to do that, that, right, is, that, is, right. that is true wealth to me and and that's the kind of wealth i personally strive for i don't really the finance podcast by the way <laughs> well, well it's i'm, I'm you, you do i know you, i know yeah totally. but, no, no, but, I, but my choice yeah. of wealth i i will We're have made it when mm-hmm. i can just do whatever i when i want to say whatever yep. i've got very modest sort of means but I've, I, I've got control over my time i'm the wealthiest person on the planet as far as i'm concerned totally you're an entrepreneur so you're you're, you're in a different boat i've got a, an income the same way that wage earners have an income but for me yeah wealth is beyond replace my income when I can yeah. literally go, you know, tick the box. Okay, no, I'm done. I, yeah. I can I can replace my income 
what, what, why, why bother having more? I'm going to read you something, mate, which I, I will get on our um, listeners' questions because that's what this is supposed to be about. But I, I couldn't help but ask you that question because I genuinely wanted an answer. Um, you didn't answer it, but thank you very much. It's, like, that's a big so. question. Man. It is, sorry. And uh, I'm just going to give you a very unsatisfying <laughs> answer as well if we really want to get into it, which we don't have time to. It's not Bitcoin. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I, I'm just going to read you something I'm pretty sure I've read before. It's, uh, it's the beginning remarks uh, from John Bogle. Uh, who, who uh, gave a speech yep. and he just here's the quote here's how I recall the wonderful story that sets the theme for my remarks today at a party given by a billionaire on Shelter Island the late Kurt Vonnegut informs his pal oh, the I author, love Kurt Vonnegut he informs his pal the author Joseph Heller that their host a hedge fund manager had made more money in a single day than Heller had earned from his wildly popular novel Catch-22 over its whole history Heller responds yes but I have something he will never have. Enough. Yeah. End quote. Beautiful. Uh, just By the way, manager. Go on. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut books, read them. Breakfast of Champions, Slaughterhouse Five, just just incredible bits of literature. Very easy reads. Just, I love him. I think he's, I just, another bit of trivia I heard during the week, as it turns out. Go I don't on. know if this is true, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> Apparently the book was entitled Catch 16. Or really? something, and the editor okay. said, "Nah, Catch Twenty Two's got a better ring to it." And and uh, yeah, I don't know if that's true, but I was like, I liked On it. On such gonna... things, history swings, man. I'm sure it yeah. probably is true. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. But it's a great quote, though, and it, it is. That's exactly my point. It yeah. Exactly my point. And this is this is the tragedy I think of so many people today, who absolutely absolutely geared to the eyeballs. Both part, both people working their fingers to the bone yep. just to pay Miserable. the yeah. mortgage, yeah. just to support the 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 investment property. I just like I know you can add all that up and put it on a piece of paper, but you are you are you are not truly wealthy to my to my way of thinking. And let's say let's say it's not even about investing; it's just like your home. I mean, this is the most transient or illusion <laughs> illusory. How do you say that? Illusory. Illusory. Say it. Thank you. Illusory, uh, yes. Well, wealth that there is, because yes. like I buy a house, hundred grand, it goes up mm-hmm. to ten million dollars, and I was like, "Wow, okay, rich I am." I was like, "Okay, access your money. What, what are you going to do, right?" Well, I, I sell my house. Okay, no, now you don't have anywhere to live. I go I'll buy somewhere else. Well, the market's gone up, so you, the, the the only way to get access to that money is to a very serious downsize uh, or, or move to a, to a far, yeah. Yeah. far less. And, and there are trade-offs with, with all of that kind of stuff. It's not real money. And yeah, I know there's the other option of, well, you could just draw down and against it. It's like, well, but it's, mm. it's just borrowing money. You know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not the, the wealth that people really think it is to my mind, not in all cases. I think that's right. Should we move put on to actual questions? Put up half our audience right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, there no, it's go. good, mate. I could, I could keep doing this for hours, but we're not going to because uh, we'll no. put people off. Hey, mate, here's a message I got from Elizabeth. She says, Dear Scott and Andrew, I've been listening to the podcast since 2019, and I really enjoy your entertaining discourse on a diverse range of topics, not just stock picking, which is just as well because we do, <laughs> we do, we do diverse and discourse very, very well. Uh, your recent episode on the RBA and its skill mix was excellent but it skirted around the elephant in the room. On one hand, a relatively independent but technically capable RBA is trying to control monetary policy, while on the other hand, a bunch of politicians and ministers with no economic management skills have the objective of spending as much as they can in their first year in office in their areas of interest to remain popular and keep their jobs. In particular, there is no requirement for the treasurer to have any economic or accounting qualifications. I think our current treasurer has a PhD in politics only, says Elizabeth. It seems easy to bag the RBA, but what hope is there 
when the other side, who created this inflationary mess in the first place, are relatively self-centred and unconstrained. Is there a better way forward? Oh. Yours in foolishness, Elizabeth. Yeah, great. Great comment. What's the answer? I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we didn't mention it on Friday, but I think we do often make the point that it's it's too, we are all too myopic in our focus. It's all the RBA, the RBA, the RBA. And it's just sort of like fiscal policy to my mind is 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 yeah. much more of a nuanced and important instrument. And I agree, Elizabeth, I 100% agree. And the incentives there are spend. I mean, the person who goes, who runs on the platform of, listen, we've got to, We've got to make some tough decisions for the long term, and that. Just like you're going to lose to the person who's over there promising free money, right? You just you just are, and so it is a tragedy. I I don't know how to fix it, but but I I 100% concur. As for the qualifications, I'll be a little bit more generous here. In theory, it's not a what you would say of the treasurer is more that they will they have access to all of the boffins within treasury and uh, expertise and advisors who will give them a range of uh, options, mm. trade-offs, ups and downs. So you, you're a decision maker um, and hopefully you're being informed by people who are very well credentialed. So that's fine. The I spoke to, of all things, it's a whole other topic which we won't get into, but I spoke to the CEO of Webit Nano recently, right? right. And uh, this is a company that's developing a new type of computer chip, rah, 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 rah. And he said, oh, honestly, when the tech guys start talking, I, I'm lost. Now, you would think, wait a second, you're the CEO. How do you not understand silicon chip technology? It's like, well, he doesn't have to, really. Like, he's making, he's, he's, he's he, he, he got in the, you need, need to have a basic sort of understanding of it, but you are, uh, what, what is it? No, 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 no one rules alone or something. I forget the exact phrase, but there is, That's there right. is. Yeah. Yeah, there, there, um, there is, in theory at least, and I, I grant you that this isn't, there's a whole other conversation to be said about the competency of, of yeah. various bureaucracies and the rest of it. But that would be the theory is that, that they, they don't need to be the experts themselves as long as they've got access to expert advice. Yeah, I, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go back to Elizabeth's first question, come back to your point, mate. Um, yes, I don't know how we fix politics. Um, other than, I guess my way of trying to do it is with this podcast and on Twitter and other places, trying to raise policy issues. Um, and I'm, I'm a tiny voice, right? But I think the more of us who care about politics, the more of us who care about, po- sorry, not policy, the more of us who care about policy, the more likely we are to ask our elected representatives to govern appropriately. Mm-hmm. And in a perfect world, they would be responsible enough to not need this, but that's the reality of the world we're in. So the honest answer, Elizabeth, is that we each individually and collectively do our best to ask our elected representatives to be better and to vote accordingly. And that might be Pollyanna and maybe it is, but short of revolution, that's the best we can hope for in a Westminster system. To Andrew's point though, and speaking of Westminster systems, I think there are, again, let me be Pollyanna for a second. You want reasonable people who are determined to run their ministries in the best possible way with the best possible advice. In fact, I actually think it's more dangerous to have a know-everything treasurer or minister for the arts or minister for education who says, I know, let's go education, I know the three R's, I know what's best for kids, I was a kid once, I've had kids, I should be, you know. I'd rather them say, actually, why don't I ask the the secretary of the Department of Education and then take representations from teachers groups, from principals, from, you know, parents, from whoever, and try and mash all that up and come up with the best 
policies I can find based on the best evidence and, and the best theories we have in front of us. I would far, far rather that than someone who comes in with their own air quotes expertise because it, also, it often brings with it its own ideology. So I, I, I will take, I'm, I'm with Andrew a little bit. I will say, Elizabeth, to your point though, you want someone with a, a reasonable aptitude and interest in the area, right? If you made me minister for, I don't know, science tomorrow, I'd like to think I'm kind of open to it, but it's not my kind of core passion, right? Or an interest, and I'd be on a really steep learning curve. If you made me Department Minister of Finance or Treasury, can't have enough of the base workings that when I had representations from those parties, I could put them in some sort of context. So some 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 application, some interest um, is super useful. Uh, there are some great ministers in different portfolios over the years. Uh, Kim Beasley come, comes to mind as a great defence minister. Julie Bishop is a great foreign minister, one from each side of politics for you. Um, you know, there are some really good people who just turn their attentions and their minds to doing a really, really good job and become really quite well-versed. I want to say expert, because again, I want to separate that from genuine expertise, but become really well-versed and could have really good, honest conversations and try and you know get through the rubbish and weed out the self-interest. So I, I think some interest is... Oh, look, I would take someone with a Bachelor of Economics rather than Bachelor of Arts, for example, in, in Treasury, if we had to choose. But I'd rather have someone who was... And I think, to be fair, Jim Chalmers and before him, Josh Frydenberg. I don't know Frydenberg's qualifications. I haven't looked them up, but they were they were genuinely interested in the, in the machinery of Treasury and, and using fiscal policy. Now, do I think they did it well enough? No. Do I think they got pushed by politics? Yes. All the stuff that goes with it. But I think they were reasonable men who weren't out of their depth in those positions. Whether they make good decisions or bad decisions, partly policy, partly politics. Um, but I think they were serious men who wanted to do the right thing. I think you know it's we can say that for most treasurers. Um, I'm not sure I would say that of Scott Morrison as treasurer without being political. I'm going to annoy some people here. Uh, I don't think he was necessarily born for the role in the same way that others were. Uh, Costello, I think, made the portfolio his own as did Keating before him. Uh, Ralph Willis at one point, and I think it was Bob Hawke, did a pretty good job. So, you know, there are, there are different there are different ministers with different abilities. But, um, yeah, I, I... Yeah, plus, plus I, we get I'd the like politicians that. we deserve, right? Well, that you know, <laughs> there, is, there is something to be said of being an informed, engaged citizen. I mean... This is a challenge, though, because I made it, I was speaking to someone the other day, and you could go back a couple hundred years, and you could be really well versed in all of the major disciplines. I could know yeah, most things there was to know about biology mm -hmm. and chemistry and physics and economics. It's just the, these bodies of of, of uh, intellectual pursuit weren't that broad. It's impossible now. Mm -hmm. Even if you want to get a subdomain like. Um, biology yes. is the example I used, yes. right? Even yeah. with biology, there's microbiology, there's genetics, there's biotechnology, there's you know, it's just like and, and it, you, it is, it is so. Be, as we as we continue to accelerate, as we are in terms of uh, the the vastness of human knowledge, it's just beyond any yes. one person. Yeah. Maybe there's a bit of hope with AI in that. I That's think they, point, so yeah. you know, synthesize not, the base stuff. Yeah, good point. They, that's what it's good at, right? You can mm -hmm. you can just sort of you can synthesize and you can cross pollinate through domains, which I think where the big discoveries and innovations are really made is when learnings from, mm. you, you know, a certain quirky mathemat ma mathematic uh, theorem developed in 1692 as purely an intellectual pursuit turns out to be <laughs> something that can mm -hmm. 
you know, a, 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 make computers run far more efficiently or something like that. Like there is, that is generally the, the story of science is when, when certain ways of thinking are employed in a different area. And it's just, it is, I don't know what I'm saying here. It's just like, yeah, it's a problem, but I don't know how to fix it. God, we're tackling the big ones here today. Are we though? Are we though? Let's, uh, yeah. let's move on though, because we have other questions to get to, mate, including one from Simon who says, hey, Scott and Ram, been enjoying the podcast since before COVID. Great commentary, banter, and surprisingly wise insights for a couple of young blokes. <laughs> surprising. Yeah, I like Simon. <laughs> Of course, young likes. That's his point. He was saying we're so young. He's surprised with that wise, Andrew. I'm, I'm, I'm going with it. Uh, he says, I found myself holding a number of duds, such as Appen, Magellan, Block, and A2 Milk. They all seemed like a good idea at the time, he says. Each now have a significant loss on paper. But my strategy of avoiding looking at them and hoping they would come good just hasn't worked. Sigh. I need your wisdom on how to deal with shares that are going down rapidly or have tanked. Do you just bite the bullet and sell them all? Do you sell in chunks, hoping they might go back up? Or think you've lost so much, you might as well just keep them? I'm sure you've never suffered this problem. Nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. Fools forever, <laughs> Simon. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Really appreciate the kind words, especially thinking we're young. We are, of course, each both uh, barely, barely out of short pants. Uh, but we will, we will put the collective wisdom of that uh, limited history to work, Andrew. As we try and answer Simon's question, I will disguise up front. I own A2 Milk, but none of the others. Um, what do you do with that, with some big losers, mate? Yeah, so excellent question. Um, uh, yeah, we it, everyone has. And anytime you meet someone who doesn't have that experience, they're a liar, right? So run a mile. Like they, they just, it just, it's a normal. Or they haven't been through it yet, in which case they're really not going to make good decisions. Like either lying to you or they generally haven't lost any money yet. And the yet is important because when it happens, they're going to learn real fast and you don't want to be it's the worst, following the them worst, when they do. The worst thing that can happen to you is to have vast and immediate success on the market. <laughs> I got a friend, this is, this is pre-GFC, Right. He didn't know what the hell he was doing, but anything he <laughs> bought went to the moon. And then you start thinking, well, if right. I can do that with $1,000, maybe oh. I can double it down and oh, double it no. down. I don't want to tell you what happened, but you know, the broad oh, no. story here is he took a pretty small amount of money and made millions um, and then blew it all up and then went oh. into debt. It was a tra tra tragic story, like absolute oh, tragic. That's awful. And, and, the, and the reason was is that I, I think the best lesson you can have as an investor is, is, is failure in the early. Mm -hmm. Like you want to make the big mistakes <laughs> when you're dealing with relatively small amounts of money. Um, and, and, and you want to, you want that lesson of it's not easy. I think the, the yeah. pride before fall always happens. So I, I'm not trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to sort of put a silver lining around that cloud for you is don't, <laughs> don't feel as though you're on an Island there. There's every, we're all, we've all been to that Island. And, and secondly, it's, it's, it's a teacher. It really is. Um, on my bio on Strawman, I've got hope is not an investment strategy. Mm. And that word was used a couple times there. I love it. Hoping for it to come back. And and that's that's bad. Mm. Um, all of the companies you mentioned, they weren't meme stocks, but they were there was very powerful narratives around all of them back mm -hmm. in the day. And th this is a, a point I often make is that you you can do really badly even if a company performs well. And they were all trading at ridiculous prices. We can say it more easily in hindsight, but I think plenty of us were saying it at the time. You know, it's just like Block is a classic example. I had a big debate on Ausbiz with a fund manager. It's just sort of like, and they expect, they wanted a bull versus bear segment. I think they were expecting me to say, oh, it's a terrible company. It's like, no, it's a perfectly decent company. Got, you know, <laughs> I mean, we can get into the ethics of what they do, but, but in terms of the business <laughs> model, it's fine. 
you know, but but it was ridiculous, the price. And yeah. people, not putting the, the listener in this category, but I think a very significant amount of people were buying it because it was going up. Right, like that's why, why am I buying this? Really cool, exciting story and the sh- look how much the share price has gone up. I'll buy it because that will keep happening. And I think that that was an error. And, and so there's, there's two types of mistake. There's the mistake of timing and it's not really a mistake because you're always going to get the timing wrong. Um, and then there's the mistake of just the actual fundamental underpinnings of the investment just weren't there. So if a share price for me, as I'm, I've had, I'm in the situation right now with you, man. It's been a been a tough year. Plenty of big losses on there. But maybe this is me protecting my ego more than anything else. So, <laughs> so again, take with a grain of oh, salt. But I think yeah. I think on I think on a good number of them, I wasn't wrong. And I, I and I say that because well, actually, I, I was mentioning to you off air a company that I own just had a quarterly out today, and their sales were up fifty percent. Share price went nut, nah, and it's still miles below where it was. Like, what do you have to do? That's not a mistake. That I mean. I can't predict when and how the market will recognize mm-hmm. that. But in mm-hmm. terms of my investment thesis is on track. I kind of thought that they could grow by that amount. I kind of thought that that would translate to a certain amount of cash flows. And I kind of continue to think at some point the market will recognize that. So that's that still sucks that the share price has gone down. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm, not, I'm not yet classifying that as a mistake. When you buy a company because you think it's going to you know, triple its earnings next year and then earnings drop by 50%, well, then the share price has obviously gone down, but that's, that is a mistake. The underpinnings of that are a mistake. So differentiate. The market isn't there to inform you. The market is there to serve you. And, and if, if, if don't, just because the share price has gone down doesn't mean you were wrong. The, 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 you look at any of those. I've made this point again before too. Look at any of the best performing shares in history and they all spend, they all have multiple drawdowns of 20, 30, 40, 50% along their journey. They spend most of their time below a previous high. That's, that is absolutely normal. And if you're going to be psyched out every time there's a wobble in the share price, you're never going to make any of these, these, these big gains. So I don't know. I'm rambling. I'm rambling at this point, but don't, don't say I made a mistake because the share price is down. Ask why is the share price down, and does that does that uh, undermine my core investment thesis? And hopefully, your investment thesis was based on what the business was going to do. Yeah, love it. I can't add much more, mate. Other than a different uh, spin on your last answer, which is why the share price is down, can be partly a question of trying to guess what the market has been doing, and that's interesting but not always the only way to think about it um the, the other way is just start from first principles and say how much is this business worth mm-hmm. and so if it's if it, what you might find is you might have paid too much for these businesses before because you just got a bit carried away or because you thought they were good value because everyone else was saying it was good value and realistically maybe they're never worth that price and so maybe the share price is down just because it was too high in the past <laughs> and that's you know you don't expect to get that back by the same token where you are now may still be too expensive and may go further because sometimes these things happen. Or conversely, it may go exactly the other way. Maybe this is cheap because the market's got carried away and the price might go back up. Yeah. In terms of working out what, and you can't know what's going to happen next, but in terms of whether you want to hold them or not, uh, my challenge to you would be to say, right, I own shares in Apple. What do I think they're worth? And come mm-hmm. up with a number. And if it's $5, mm-hmm. okay, well, is the share price higher or lower than $5? Mm-hmm. Is A2 Milk worth more or less than $6? Well, you know, whatever that, whatever that math is, give yourself some margin of error, as we like to say regularly. Um, but yeah, I would. So <laughs> I'm going to say very nicely, as as uh, some of our politicians would. I can't remember which one I used the wrong one. I think I got in trouble for mentioning it was Gillard rather than Morrison or vice versa. Right? I don't know. I, Twitter doesn't like me when I do these things, so you know I shouldn't. <laughs> um, I disagree with the premise of your question. 
mm. which, is, which is just simply to say, um, what do you do with stocks that are down? Well, the same thing you do with stocks that are up, which is work out whether they're still withholding. Yep. And, and the, the, the question isn't different. Here's the other thing. It may be the biggest sin, potentially. <laughs> well, you would have owned Appen. You probably bought it at a cheaper price. It probably went up after that. You didn't write in saying, these stocks are up. What should I do with stocks that are up? Because we always think the stocks going up is good, so we don't worry. But no, we don't ask ourselves the hard questions. When they're down, we say, oh, now they're down. What should I do with them now? It's like, well, the same question you should have asked yourself when they were up, which is, what do I think they're worth? And how is this trading relative to that valuation? And whether you do a discounted kind of cash flow or a PE or a price to free cash flow or a total addressable market or whatever, whatever, whatever way you want to approach investing, I think there's better and worse options in that list. But um, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, you, however you want to evaluate the the value of a company, that's the job. Do that job, and then work out from there where you go. Um, so ignore the fact they're down is, is the short answer. Yeah, yep, yep. And and if you can't answer that question, and by the way, I can't answer it for most companies on the ASX. It's too yeah, hard. It's true. I don't it's understand their industries or those. Yeah. I mean, they're just you know, it's two thousand companies. You serious? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm always skeptical of someone who's got an opinion on every single stock as well. It's like, <laughs> how can you possibly know that many businesses properly? Yeah, you know, and that's okay. But I mean, be honest with yourself. And and I don't want to I don't want to uh, presume anything here. But if 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 in <laughs> When you look yourself in the mirror, you go, actually, I didn't have a well-formed thesis and I, I can't now formulate one. My answer would be sell. Because um, again, hope is not an investment strategy. Dust yourself mm-hmm. off and then, and then come, come back at it. And, and if you find that it's just too difficult to question, then move on to something that's easy. It's the whole buffet. Don't jump over 10-foot hurdles. Step over one-foot hurdles. Appen I'll use as an example, right? So mm. the story here is that they basically – curated big data sets for companies, big tech companies to train their AI models and stuff on. And wow, talk about exciting. Uh, Talk about a growth industry. I mean, this thing went to the moon because they were were the dominant global player in this space. They had customers in the big company, never disclosed their customers, but one was assumed to be Microsoft, I think, at one point, a couple of others. Facebook and all the, yeah, you read between the lines, right? They're all the big ones. It's super easy to get excited about that. Well, Facebook use them, they must be great. Yeah, yeah, great. Now, now, so what do I think now? Actually, my, my, I, I don't know is what, is what I think because the, the existential risk here is that you've got the state of AI is such that these things are able to sort of train themselves increasingly now. So these annotated totally. data sets. Now, by the way, AI is a very broad term. There'll be absolute, I know there'll be people in the industry screaming at the machine, right? They're going, no, 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 that will never, that, that requirement for training data will never go away. So, yeah, probably some truth to that. But, it, but, but, but my point is, I, Andrew Page, with my experience and education and the rest of it, I'm just, I just don't know. I don't know. Can AI train itself? Does it still need this? Are they going to be the people to Will use it? Will it always? Yep. Will it always? I don't know. Is that reflected? I don't know. And that's cool. I mean, that's the most honest answer I can give. And that answer, and if I, if the answer is I don't know, it's like, eh, I'll move on to something that I can wrap mm-hmm. my tiny little brain around. So, so don't force it, right? And, 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 but there'll be someone out there who goes, look, I work in the industry. I know this one. <laughs> I know the market stuff, yeah. got yeah. too excited, but now it's too pessimistic. They will be making less money than the market thought, but they will be making money. And the price on the market today relative to that, that, that future cash flow is actually quite attractive. I mean, just as, as a hypothetical, right? Point is, answer that question, then make a decision. And if you can't, move on, dust yourself off. Don't, don't do what so many people do, which is, oh, I'm not happy. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I'll wait for it to go up 10% and then I'll sell. Yeah. Because while you wait for that 10% up, it could drop another 50%. I'm not saying it will, but it could. And it just, you, you, you turn from an investing 
stance to a speculative stance very quickly and and, and unintentionally, uh, but it's a slippery slope. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, let's go to a question from Mo who says, uh, I have a couple of questions if possible, with the first being a question around liquidity. Over the last couple of years, I had one company which has driven a lot of my returns. However, there was a lot of commentary early on regarding its liquidity. If my thesis, if my thesis sorry, was for a three to five year time frame, when I first invested, should liquidity be a big consideration about a stock like this having very low trading volume? I feel if my thesis plays out as expected, then in time the liquidity problem would solve itself as the company continues to perform and gain more attention. I'll stop there and we'll ask the second question second. What do you reckon, mate? Liquidity, good, bad, indifferent? Oh, God, I love this question. So uh, Bundy's will tell you that these things are called lobster pots because um, they're easy to get into. <laughs> right, you can't get out. No, they can't get like out. That. And they're right. I've never heard no. that phrase. That's funny. All right, go. Oh, look, if I'm, if I'm managing $100 million, that's a, yep. big, that's a big deal, right? Yep. I, particularly if I'm a fund manager and I like to like switch things around every five seconds. <laughs> I don't know if it's a bigger deal for a, for a small private investor. I mean, I've got shares that I, I looked at one earlier today. I think it had done like five trades. It was like hyper illiquid. <laughs> but if you want to, if you're, I mean, again, I, I'm just making numbers up here, but if you've got like $5,000 to invest, that's not a problem. That is not a problem at, at all. The other thing I would say is that there is great advantage in that. The reason there are companies that trade at such ridiculous multiples and you look at it and go, why? How come it's on a P of six? It's growing. There's no debt. You know, it's profitable, et cetera, et cetera. The answer is the liquidity isn't there. The reason, if you ever look in the uh, unlisted space, the premiums that you pay for companies are a fraction of what you pay in the public space. And what's the mm. difference? The difference is liquidity. Investors pay for liquidity because it's a wonder. The ease, it's just a fancy way of saying it's really easy to buy and sell. And get in quickly and I can get out quickly. And I can do that with reasonable sums of money without distorting the price. There, there is value in that. And people will pay extra for that value. And the reverse is true too. When there's not liquidity there, they will pay less. But I agree. If you're if you've got like three five years and this business does what you expect, those problems tend to solve themselves, you know. And 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 I actually think that that's one of the real edges that we have in this space as small investors because the big the big people can't do it. We can, and I'm patient. Uh, I don't have two hundred million dollars that I'm trying to invest. <laughs> it's not a big. It's not a big deal for me. And and then what? This is what you find, right? Two things. One, hopefully the company performs as you expect, and as that occurs, and it attracts more attention, and the liquidity comes up, the premium, uh, the multiple expands mm-hmm. as well. So you get you get the lift in earnings and the lift in the multiple. So your earnings have doubled, and your multiple has tripled. That you know t- times those numbers together. That is a thing of beauty, right? But downside here is is low liquidity also means much more extreme volatility uh, and potentially if things do change very rapidly you will maybe find it a bit harder to get out but that's uh, you know again risk versus reward there's trade-offs in everything and i'm i'm for one i'm pretty comfortable with that trade-off won't be for everyone though yeah i i come can't agree with anything you said mate other than to give a couple of um quick additional thoughts one is that additional volatility is not going to be for everybody and so you know, uh, <laughs> one, of, one of the most overused but favourite things is everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? The old Mike Tyson. Mike line. Tyson, love it. Yeah. And and so, did you see it? But very quickly, did you see it? He was on Twitter the other day doing a round 
How was he? Uh, Spar- he's like 50-something he's years. Brutal, mate. Oh, gosh, you yeah. don't want to run into that guy. You know, he might be recently. past his prime. I haven't said it recently. I saw it maybe a year or two ago. Is fearsome, like just genuinely fearsome, like uh, like genuinely t- anyone you can keep out of the ring, keep out of the ring if you got. Dude, you give me a sword, oh. right? Yes. Yeah, here's, yeah. here's a here's a katana, yeah. and you and and Mike's <laughs> just going to use his fist. Go, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to drop that thing and run. <laughs> I'm back. Maybe hasn't been doing his sprint training exactly. <laughs> anyway, sorry, um, I, I just no, no, no. Just so look, my my only point is, and it's just the usual one of everyone thinks they're above average driver. Everyone says, oh no, I I, I can deal with low liquidity. I can deal with more volatility. Yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm that person, sure. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Just be careful. Um, uh, second is, if it goes badly, as Andrew said, it goes badly more quickly and more significantly, more severely. So your your ability to minimize your losses if things go badly is probably limited. And not only straight away, but at any point during the investment thesis, right? If you're kind of like, yeah, the shares are down, they're down, they're down. You go, oh, okay, this, you know, the, the business isn't performing. I was wrong. I'm going to get out. You may have to wear a decent additional haircut to get out, which is not necessarily bad. And again probability wise if you have a couple of do really well you still take that bet just know that that's the circumstance you you face um last one can, can, can i just okay. make yeah, another please. comment yeah. on that as well i think I, I i think often the contrast is overstated too um i'm going to pick on a2 milk because it's the first one i remembered from the early one this is this is even today is more than a four billion dollar company this is in all the major indices this is not a small cap company this is not an illiquid company. Today alone, in a shortened trading week, which tends to have much lower volume, $36 million worth of shares traded hands. Yeah. Guess what? It's super, it's super volatile. It yeah. was $4 a year ago, then it was $7 three months ago, and now it's $5. And like, I, it, I, it's more the daily, daily monthly volatility, right? You're going you're gonna to have broader swings within that for those reasons. Yeah, yes, yes. But just I, I think people often kid themselves, I'm just going to stick to the top 50 because they're not as volatile. I'm like, mm, yeah. They're still pretty bloody volatile, right? Like it just, you know, it just, it comes with the territory. And I think if mm. volatility scares you, which is no, no, nothing wrong with that. Know thyself is the first law of investing <laughs> yeah, the exactly. the shares share market is not for yeah, you yeah. I, I i would just say that so there's a company i've looked up a little small cap company if you were to if you had twenty thousand dollars worth of no fifty thousand dollars worth of shares to sell uh you the the if you want to sell them all in one go it's a 10 percent drop in the share price yeah to get out yeah. right now yeah so it's probably look I, again i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you andrew i just, I, I think i think it's it's we can find examples both ways. I think it's just it's just to warn people if you're going to do it, just know what you're getting in for, right? No, it's not it's not a reason not to do it at all. To Andrew's point, mm. unless you're going to do it badly, unless it's going to mm. freak you out, and you're going to you're going to handle it badly. Mm. It's not a reason not to invest because again, it goes both ways. And to Andrew's point about things improving, you you know it, again, pro- probabilistically, if you made twelve of these bets, you do very well. I think if you make one or the wrong one or one of the two or three or four of them might go really badly, and that's yeah. okay because that's part of the story. That's part of how you do this. Um, but just just bear that in mind. There's um, two there's two yeah. sides to every coin though. Sometimes low liquidity can work in your f- favor. So yeah, let's say yeah. let's if the company performs really well. Yeah. I mean it's supply and demand, right? Mm-hmm. There's just not enough supply of shares. So all of a sudden everyone's getting excited about this company. It's very illiquid. There's not enough sales. So guess what? The the price goes up much. Like volatility can be good, yeah. right? It can be Everyone's volatile all in, of a sudden. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Volatility is just what brokers call for shares going down. Yeah, no one exactly. talks about volatility when it's going up, but the, correct, the actual correct. definition is just sort of like relative movement. movement and, correct, correct. And 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 this is where these this is where I'm so enamored with with these kinds of opportunities is because you you get far greater upside be very because of the liquidity issue. 
it, when and if it goes right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, anyway, true. continue. No, no, all good. All good. Uh, last one I was going to say is just that, I, I, only because I feel like I should sometimes, because um, I'm that sort of guy, um, sometimes you don't get the multiple expansion because the liquidity doesn't improve and people don't actually start paying attention. So there can be a long period of time where yep. you're like, what the hell do I have to... Soul Pats was a great example of that actually for the longest time I own shares in Soul Pats, as our listeners know. Um, it was just it was just underappreciated and I love for a very, very, very long time. Brickworks, again, a company I own that's kind of kissing cousin. Um, uh, well, actually, so the interview with Lindsay Partridge, the managing director coming up very soon on the Good Oil podcast that I do. So check that one out. Um, we spoke to him about- in uh, late last year. Yeah, nice. it- there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll keep an ear out for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Listen to the good oil and join Strawman. Uh, lessons, <laughs> lessons everywhere. This one. Uh, he just made the point after the podcast, funnily enough, actually, that it, the number of retail investors they've had has, has exploded. So what do I say? Private investors to keep Andrew happy. Um, retail. Retail and- is just what brokers call poor people. <laughs> I hate the term. <laughs> you do. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, he was just saying that, you know, he's had an explosion in, in individual investors during the share registry. And it wasn't, it wasn't, there was no, there was no so what to it. It wasn't like it was, you know, it, it was not a case that therefore it's good, therefore it's bad. Just that liquidity will improve because of that over time, in all likelihood. And sometimes it can take a long time to happen. Sometimes it never happens, um, even if the business improves. So, you know, again, I just want to, just because you talked about my doubling the earnings and tripling the multiple, and look how much, you, and, and like that, that upside is absolutely possible. I just wanted to kind of just, just because I can't help myself just kind of not dampen it down just just you know th- that is probable frankly i agree with andrew uh but i also just want to say sometimes it doesn't happen and that's okay too because if you're still right about the company you can do really well even if the multiple doesn't expand if it does you're, you're even better off so yeah um assume it can assume it might assume it probably will uh but just don't don't assume it has to or, or necessarily will and if it doesn't happen in three years time don't, don't hit us up and say andrew said my multiple increase when the business kept doing well so like, well most of them does sometimes it just doesn't and you just gotta wait it out and that's okay yeah too. Yep, true, true, true. All right, let's. Um, I might have a second question actually. I'm trying to find it now. Um, where is Mo's second question? Here we go. Um, the second revolves around whether there are any studies done on what happened when a company enters the ASX 200. So that's a, it's pretty a pretty straight question. Ram, your mm. thoughts? As in, does when it enters index when it, when a company you know becomes yeah. part of the ASX 200, do the shares jump because it's now in more in demand or anything like that? Yeah, you, sometimes. I mean, I, I look. I'm not going to quote any studies here, but anecdotally, you know, you see the announcements come out, rebalance of the index, and and shares move around as a result of that. Yeah. Whether there's any lasting impact, I'm far more skeptical of. I don't know, and whether it's a it's something that you can prosecute as a strategy. I'm pretty <laughs> skeptical on. Yeah. So yeah, I've made the I've, and, yeah. Yeah. Look, I've made the comment before. Is that the, the what the inclusion in the index depends pretty much on liquidity? If we were just talking about and market cap, like the size of the business. So it's not a secret. So if something's like got lots of liquidity and the the market cap's really high and you know, there's, there's a very good chance it's going to be included in the index at some point. And maybe it gets a little bit of a bump on the day as a result of that. But it's not, I don't think it's anything that you can use to your advantage. And if it is, someone is probably already doing it, which means that the advantage doesn't exist anymore. And the bump is small and mostly inconsequential. And given the choice, I'd rather own a high quality business and not an index than a low quality business that manages somehow to crawl out of that line. It's just, yeah. Give it, given the choice. Can I say, I, love, I yeah. love the questions we get because they're all, I mean, I think everyone asks these questions. Like we throw a bit of shade on them, but mm-hmm. I'd be lying if I didn't, I, the exact same thoughts haven't happened to me along the way. I was like, wait a mm-hmm. sec, does that mean I can? And do like, we all do, right? Um, yeah, but if there's any, if there's any, 
uh, insights I can give you from our experience. I just, I just don't, I just don't, I don't, I've not seen any good evidence that, that it's anything you can do anything with. <laughs> I like it. Uh, mate, Paul asks, good evening, kind sirs. I want to know what happens when a company goes into administration, but the stock is suspended. <laughs> the only useful one I can think of is open pay. He says, I know, I know, in brackets, can do for me now is being a tax loss, but is suspended rather than gone altogether. Yeah. I presume that means I can't make it a tax write-off. Is there anything I can do to affect that? Or are suspensions something that stop everything happening? Pieces brackets. Presumably, presumably what happened with their income too. Yes, that, that did stop. Um, thanks for the pod, the tangents, and the ever so occasional rants, says Paul. Thank you, Paul. Good question. Um, I like your email address too, Paul. I'm not going to read that because it'd be very cool, but it's a, it's a funny email address. So well done. Uh, what happens, mate? If a company's in suspension, <laughs> you're, claim a tax you're loss? stuck. No, you yeah, can't. You you've, got to, you've got to dispose <laughs> of it. It's awful, isn't it? It's awful. And you can't dispose of it. Correct. Well, I guess you could, I don't know. Can you do an off, if you can find some patsy yeah, to do an off market transfer, yeah, exactly. yes, you know? Good. So if you yeah. want to try and con someone out of their money and let them take the fall, potentially, that's but not, no. Official advice from By the way, the the, these things can, no, it's not, it's not advice. <laughs> tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek. Um, uh, these things can drag on for ages. Oh, I'm yeah, trying to think really of an can. example of one that was in administration for ages, yeah. and you just yep. you just you're just stuck until they yeah. figure it all out. Yes, so it doesn't have to necessarily even uh, the, whether it's on the market's actually irrelevant because um, yes. you can have a private a public company go private that doesn't crystallise the loss. The company has you have to dispose of the shares, or the company formally has to effectively be liquidated or sold. And, and the proceeds distributed. So um, it's not about what's on, whether it's on the ASX, it's actually about what happens after that, unfortunately. Uh, Brent says, G'day again, Andrew and Scott. I am really such a huge fan of this podcast. I've learned so much. Thanks, Uncle Brent. I'm kidding. <laughs> Keep up the great work cool. and the cringeworthy straw man introductions. <laughs> Brent wants them, Andrew. Brent wants the introductions. Oh, he did are say you, cringeworthy. You, he did say cringeworthy. He said, Keep them up. Mm. I'm, I'm, I've, I've never claimed they're funny. Let's be, let's be really, really clear here. I'm, I'm in dad joke land, boots and all, mate. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting they're not cringeworthy in the slightest. Oh, you I'm do, just saying you. our listeners want them. It appears, says Brent, the more I read into finance and economics, the more stupid my questions become. If the questions really are that dumb, please keep my name anonymous. Well, it's too late now, Brent. You should have put that at the top, as always. Firstly, says Gold, three, three quick questions, mate, and we'll wrap this up. Firstly, gold has appeared in the news quite a lot recently, but what is its significance? Does it still have relevance in the banking system? Where is the value coming from? This might be so simple to explain, but I also thought the banking system had advanced well past people hoarding pretty shiny rocks. <laughs> Appreciate your insights here, but please don't mention Bitcoin. Says no, I said that. Oh, did, come on! You I, can't we, set me up like that. <laughs> right, let's talk. Let's not. Let's not talk about whether there's better things. Let's say why. Why do people talk about gold still, Andrew? It's the oldest store of value. It's got a five thousand year track record, and it just you know people will accept it. You know, I'm why not. Why do a they gold- go to gold rather than cash when the market gets weird? Because I think that's Brent's point. Is like, surely we move past that. Why is gold still a thing? Why Why does gold become a thing from time to time? Why do it's, people care? It's scarce and it's durable, and it's widely accepted. So gold is a commodity. Like you, the central banker can't make it appear out of thin air. They can't debase it. They can't. Maybe someone will start mining asteroids at some point. Uh, or we'll find a new deposit that just triples the supply. But until that happens, it has value. I mean, here's the thing. By the way, can I say at the beginning here, 
there are no dumb questions and I wish people would ask dumb questions more often, quote unquote dumb questions, because they're, they're not, they're not dumb questions. And too often we're afraid to ask them because for fear of looking stupid, 100%. ask the dumb questions. And if, if they're really, if they're really a dumb question, there'll be a really straightforward answer. And there's no straightforward answer to this one, except that we're fairly evolved species of apes that for thousands of years have decided <laughs> that this is something that we will store our value we like in. shiny rocks and we all like shiny rocks and everyone else likes them so when i joined the population everyone else was already liking them so it's crazy it's not like they'll stop liking them anytime soon so i'm it's, it's inferred value right you talked about psychology and and behavior on friday it's it's that it's that story brent it's um so a couple of things. One is it's always been of value, so people have confidence that it won't change anytime soon, and that's not an unreasonable thing in a in a in a in a, in a world of stories. To Andrew's point on Friday, yeah, it, 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 to expect everybody in the world gives up on gold tomorrow is probably unlikely. Um, secondly, the the volume doesn't increase massively. So if you have high interest rates or money printing, as we've had in the last few years, uh, where the store the, the the amount of cash available grows, that in theory means the dollars you have are worth less because there's simply more of them out there. So you have a smaller slice of the pie your gold is probably not meaningfully smaller in terms of the store of gold. So you've I got that so kind of- so much to say. <laughs> I'm going to stop because we're almost finished the podcast. I know, here, but I would like I to know. say it again later. Um, but yeah, so, so that's that's where it has a role. I will, I will only say on Andrew's behalf, Bitcoin has some similar attributes if and when it becomes as accepted or, or towards the level of acceptance of gold. And it's going to frustrate you, mate, but I will say that and I'll keep moving. Yeah. Uh, unless I'm horribly wrong. Secondly, ask Brent, when a central bank raises interest rates, where does the extra interest paid actually go i love this question because i was talking to you off air mate that as people on twitter say to me the banks have made all this extra money now because the rbs put rates up and look they get to keep it all I'm like well not so much where does the interest go mate where does the interest come from that's the more interesting question <laughs> that's not the question right? asked and we have there's, limited time there well you know it, it, it um Oh my, oh my gosh! How, how can you pose the? I love these questions. Because I want to do a whole podcast on the. It's, we, not, it's, not, it's not an opportunity to talk about where interest. No, it's not even about mentioning goes. the B word. It's just these. These are brilliant questions, and I, 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 I sorry, I've gotten a lot of thoughts, but it's very, 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 very hard, hard to do. But yeah, but yeah. essentially, um, they're all just promises. <laughs> they're all just IOUs. They're all liabilities to someone. Yeah. I mean, their whole system is based on liabilities. So it's sort of like it comes from a future promise to do something yes. maybe that'll happen or maybe it won't <laughs> and, and can i say can i say broadly mate to, to answer Brent, I, we are actually up against a little bit of time um the bank is just the middleman i think it's probably the key the key yeah. point i would, yeah, I would yeah. make which is you know the bank has the bank borrows money from somebody depositors the money market something else and then lends it to somebody else and collects the gap collects the, collects the margin they're a wholesaler of money right mm-hmm. they, they buy the goods from someone else they sell them to somebody else that's 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 banks it's not their only role but it's their primary role right they're they're, they're matching up lenders and borrowers yep. and they get to keep the margin in between and generally speaking when they charge more for their loans it's because they're having to pay more for the money they use to make those loans yep is that fair yep. to say yep that's the easy I'm that's sorry Andrew better. I know I know I'm causing you much cerebral pain right now <sighs> I love the questions though they are brilliant questions <laughs> they're not dumb at all I wish more people would ask these questions frankly <laughs> here's the last one I'm hoping you poke holes in something I've recently implemented for myself and my daughter as it just seems a little too easy and cheap I make trades with CMC markets, however, tie $0 brokerage on any trade under $1,000 a day. I opened an account for her 
towards which $10 a week of her pocket money is paid, plus bonus jobs, Christmas money, etc. I even find reasons to make losing bets with her just so I can add extra to her account this week. Awesome. You're a very good man, Brent. Well done. Awesome. When the balance of the account reaches about two or three VAS shares, which is Vanguard Australian Shares ETF, we make a purchase. All dividends are reinvested. This strikes me as a great way to introduce kids to investing and also begins their lesson and journey on compounding. I'm doing the same with myself, but with about 20 to 40% of my investing budget, as to have part of a portfolio will grow and compound reliably, as opposed, he says, some of my small cap stocks, which are frighteningly volatile. <laughs> I really can't see any downside to this over the long term. I thought CMC might flog me with huge selfies, so I looked into CMC versus Comsec, and CMC were much cheaper. I know you can't give personal advice, but given I want the stability and compounding of market returns for my daughter, for that to be a, a part of her portfolio and, and my portfolio, is this a good strategy? Is VAS the best option? If not, which ETFs would you recommend as a very long-term holding that can compound over time? Almost regards, Brent. Okay, very quickly. Yes, it's a great idea. It's brilliant. Is there a better investment out there? Almost by definition, like what are the yeah, odds that you've landed right. on the world's best investment? Um, yeah. but, but it's a very good one. Um, and I think it's a very safe one. So I, I've got very little to, uh, in fact, nothing to to poke holes in. That that is that is a brilliant thing. And I think as she gets older, she will see the increasing value of that, and she will tell stories to her children about how <laughs> dad did this, and that's why we now have a nice house. Or so, so you know, it'd, it'd, it'd be great, great, love it. You get absolute dad stars, Brent. I can I can't complain. Two quick thoughts. One, you may want to consider doing something internationally as well as locally. So you may want to split in a couple of ETFs just for extra diversification. I don't need to, but you may consider it if you wanted to. The other option is just be mindful of CMC. I don't know whether it's chess sponsored shares. We've talked about this before. Um, not being chess sponsored is a very small risk, but it is a bigger risk than being chess sponsored. For the amount of money you're talking about, you still may be happy to take the risk. Uh, I would not personally, it's not about CMC at all. This is not a company specific comment at all. I would not invest with a non-chess sponsored broker. With a very simple, without an exception, I have done, I do, for my young boy. I've said I've got a shares account for him where he chooses his own investments and his total portfolio is $143 or something. And we, we put literally a, you know, a fraction of his pocket money in there and he gets to choose the shares. It's kind of a way to get him thinking about business and investing. And so we do that. That's not chess sponsored. It's not as safe as chess sponsored brokers. I'm not particularly worried about sharesies or CMC, um, but I wouldn't put large amounts of money. I wouldn't put my portfolio in there, or you know someone else's larger portfolio. So just be, just be, just ask yourself those questions. If you're happy, knock yourself out. If you prefer insurance, you may want to pay a little bit more brokerage for that privilege. I do, and I would only do it with my portfolio and any larger amounts of money. Um, I also invest my own bloke with Perla. I've said that before too. They are chess sponsored and that's where we put a larger amount of money for him that we're putting inside. He doesn't know it's there because we're adding money for him. But the bit he gets to, I was going to say play with, the bit he gets to take an interest in is really small and I'm not worried about shares' stability. And if worse came to worse, it wouldn't bankrupt me or him and that's okay for me. So just just think about that. But that's the only, they're the only two considerations I'd add. Nice. I'm sorry to have constrained you so, Ram, but I will make up for another time, I promise. In the meantime, <laughs> will you come back next week? Mate, if you, if you, if you promise to di di dive into some of those questions, no, you know, promise. you couldn't keep me away. I'll, 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 walk up, I'll walk up to your house and, 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 and on foot through the snow and I'll do it. Until then, full on. <laughs> Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.